So as we step into God's word, we are on our third week now in a sermon series entitled The People of God. And we are walking through um, the older part of your Bible that we call the Old Testament. And we're looking at these characters, these men and women of the Old Testament, and we're looking at how their stories point to a better story, the story of Christ, so that we might understand better how God has called us to be a part of what he is doing. Now, I wanna just kind of preface this with a little personal um, testimony, if you will, this morning. So there was a a season in my own Christian journey where um, I drifted into legalism. It was early on. And by legalism, I, I mean this, that in order for God to be happy with me on any given day, it was solely based on my behavior. So if I'd had a really good day, I'd told somebody about Jesus, I'd started the day in prayer, maybe time in the word in my quiet time. And for the most part, I avoided big sins. Then at the end of the day, I felt like God was happy with me. And so for me, it was, okay, wash, rinse, repeat. I need to do that tomorrow for God to be happy with me. And, and, and praise God that, that he rescued me out of that perspective to show me that his pleasure in me has everything to do with what Jesus has done and nothing to do with what I've done. Um, but, it, but, it, but it took God rescuing me out of that mindset. Now I'm saying that because one of the reasons that I drifted into that mindset had to do with a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. Okay, and here's what my dilemma was. Um, I, I, wasn't, I came to a place where I understood the gospel by trusting in what Jesus has done. I can be saved and forgiven, but what about all those people before Jesus? And I couldn't wrap my head around people like Moses and Abraham and Noah. Like, how did they make it into heaven? Because surely they made it, right? Like, this isn't just a, an Old Testament narrative of all the people who didn't make it, but how did they make it? If they didn't know about Jesus, like how did they make it into heaven? So for me, I, rather than reading the Bible, I concluded there must be another way. And so I began to make the people of the Old Testament into these heroes, these spiritual giants, and I wanted to come into heaven their way, right? Because I didn't want to have to be the poor wretched soul that needed to be saved by Jesus. I wanted to climb the moral ladder and get in on my own if there, was a, if there was a way to do that. And so I began to look at these Old Testament characters as heroes. But at a certain point in my Christian journey, as I was reading through the Bible, I began to read stories that, that kind of unlodged me for a little while. Like I was reading about this great man, David. Like I can remember thinking, David was a man after God's own heart. I want to be David. And I'm reading David's story and David's story gets dark. It does, it gets dark and ugly and and wicked for a while. And I read that story, I'm like, whoa, I hope David made it to heaven. (laughs) I'm gonna find somebody else. And so I go looking for Moses and I find Moses getting angry and misleading the people of Israel. And I go to Abraham and I'm finding all these examples of people at a gut level who were just like me. People who believed in God, who for the most part, trusted God, but, but they had this sin issue that had to be dealt with. And so I began to wrestle with, well, then how were they saved? And that led me to a better understanding, a deeper understanding of the gospel. So as we look at the characters of the Old Testament, the three characters who are mentioned most in the New Testament are Moses, Abraham, and David. And today we're gonna to be talking about Abraham. So just to give you some perspective, uh, Moses is mentioned in the New Testament 80 times, Um, Abraham is mentioned 72 times, and then David is 54 times, which tells us there's a lot to learn about these characters, and their story has something to do with the bigger story, right? 
I mean, if the book is referring back to these guys, I want to know why is the book, the New Testament, referring back to these characters and what do they have to do with the overall story? Well, we're going to start today, we're primarily going to be in the New Testament, okay? Even though we're talking about Old Testament characters, we're going to be in Galatians 3 for the most part. So in Galatians chapter 3, matter of fact, the whole book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is dealing with what I was talking about earlier, this idea of legalism. So this idea of legalism had drifted into the church in the first century. I mean, church is brand new, right? You wouldn't think that it would happen that quickly, but legalism was beginning to to, to kind of sink its teeth into the doctrine of the church. And so Paul, the apostle, he's writing a letter. That's what Galatians is. And he's addressing it and he's calling them back to the true gospel. And so by the time we get to chapter three, verse one, listen to his intensity. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now that's no way to start a a chapter, right? Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me only ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Those two phrases, latch onto them. Which way did it happen for you? Works of the law or hearing by faith? Verse three, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, listen to this, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So that's the dilemma. The gospel is hearing by faith. You hear the gospel, you believe it by faith, you're saved, you're rescued by God. And the Galatians knew this. That's how they initially became Christians. But they had drifted into this idea of works by the law, by obeying the law, by working hard for God. Like I can make God happy with me and we can make God happy with me, right? Then he'll give us blessing and life will get better and better and better. And we'll climb this rung of spiritual success. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes we make in the, in the church is that we consider legalism to be another version of Christianity, but it's not. Like, Paul's using strong words. He calls them fools twice and he says, you've been bewitched. So legalism isn't just another version of the gospel. Like it it might as well be the gospel of Satan. The opposite of the true gospel. And so Paul is handling this idea with great care, great emphasis and intensity here. But he ends this section, verse six, with a statement. So he's talking about two ways, works by the law or hearing in faith. And then he brings up Abraham, verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So which way did you get saved? Was it like Abraham or was it another way? And so I'm reading, I'm thinking, wow, there's something here. I need to, I need to learn about Abraham. Right? I need to go and read Abraham's story. I need to know how Abraham got his righteousness because I've tried it on my own and I can't get there. So he must be a spiritual giant or 
there's something else going on. Now, what I hope you're learning through this sermon series is that a right view of the Old Testament leads to a right view of the gospel. A wrong view of the Old Testament leads to a wrong view of the gospel. Right, you with me? Like the Old Testament matters and your view of the Old Testament matters. What's going on in these lives? What's going on in these characters? What's going on in these stories? So we go back then to Genesis chapter 12, verses one, two, and three. And this is where God speaks to Abraham and initiates this this relationship with Abraham and he gives a promise. I want you to listen. Verse one of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's household to the land that I will show you. We're going on a journey, Abraham. Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God makes this big promise to Abraham, right? First of all, he's speaking to a man whose wife is barren, they have no kids, and he says to him, I'm gonna make you (laughs) and your family into this great nation. Now we talked last week, Hebrews 11, chapter one says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. So now we apply that to Abraham's life. He's being called to believe some things he can't see, right? I mean, I don't even have kids. How are you gonna, through me, right, build this great nation, right? God's calling Abraham to hope in something that he can't see and to to have this deep conviction for things that he can't see. And so Abraham packs up and he, he heads out. Now, so what Paul is saying in Galatians is that here's, you wanna know how Abraham got saved? He believed God. He heard, he believed, and then God credited to him what? Righteousness. Oh, well, that helps. So Abraham heard, promise of God, he believed it, and God counted him as righteous. So now I begin to understand how the people of the Old Testament fit into God's story. If you're taking notes, Abraham's righteousness was a free gift. A free gift that he received as a result of his faith in what? God's promises to him. Now I can begin to see a connection between Abraham and me. Abraham and the gospel. God makes a promise, you hear it, you believe it, trust it, and God saves and he gives you the free gift of righteousness. Now we're gonna go back to Galatians 3, starting in verse seven. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And it's really hard for you and I to grasp how controversial that statement was when it was made. So the guy who's writing this, Paul, he was a genuine um, descendant of Abraham. He had the blood flowing through his 
veins. He was Jewish, okay? So if you were Jewish, you were considered to be a son or daughter of Abraham. This is the children of Abraham. For thousands of years, the nation of Abraham, or the, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, took great pride in the fact this is our family. They protected that lineage. They protected that genealogy. You find a lot of the genealogy in your Old Testament. Very meticulously and carefully accounted for. Why? Because God made a promise to the descendants of Abraham. So it was important to know if you were a descendant of Abraham or not. And so what Paul is saying was incredibly controversial to the Jews. When he says, know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Because what he did is he just opened up the door. He just opened up the door to let more people in. It's no longer just those who were blood related to Abraham who are God's people. The door has been opened to a broader group of recipients. It's those who are of the faith. And then I want you to read verse eight with me slowly. This is the verse that shattered my false understanding of the Old Testament, reoriented my theology, and pulled me out of legalism. Verse eight. And the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, it's your Bible, the Old Testament, and the scriptures foreseeing. That means looking ahead, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That means everybody who's not a descendant of Abraham preached the gospel beforehand, beforehand to Abraham. What? I read that and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've read Abraham's story. I don't remember Jesus in there. So I went back and I reread the story starting in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 14, 15, and read all of Abraham's story looking for where the gospel was preached. Jesus is mentioned, where, where is it at? Where's the cross mentioned in the book of Genesis? I didn't find it. It's not there. But Paul is saying to the church, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So when did, when did he preach the gospel to Abraham? We keep reading and look at what Paul says. Here's when he did it. When God said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Well, I know where that is. That's Genesis 12, verse three. What God was saying to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. Your family's gonna become this great nation. And then through your lineage, through your family, through the nation of Israel, I'm gonna bless all other families. I'm gonna kick the door wide open. There will be more than just you who are saved, more than just you who are justified, more than just your descendants who will be made righteous. Oh yeah, I'm gonna include the Gentiles. And that's why it's such a big deal in the book of Acts when the gospel goes out, starting where? First in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then where? The ends of the earth. The gospel preached first to whom? The Jews, and then to whom? The Gentiles, right? The church launches in Jerusalem. It's primarily based in, in Jewish culture and Jewish recipients, and it was a big deal if a Gentile believed the gospel. Matter of fact, they had a debate in the early church. We got these Gentiles who are believing in Jesus. We don't know what to do with them. Can they receive the Holy Spirit? Should we baptize them? What do we do with them? And that's where the apostle Paul comes in. Remember, he goes from terrorist 
to now an apostle and just a couple of chapters in your Bible in the book of Acts. And what does God say to Paul? Listen, you're gonna be the one to take this gospel to the Gentiles. I'm gonna kick the door open on my family. Well, who are you gonna let in? Everyone who believes. So when God was speaking to Abraham, Abraham, I'm gonna bless all nations through you. He didn't say anything about Jesus or the cross, but Paul says he was preaching the gospel at that moment. What we begin to see is that all the promises that God makes throughout the Old Testament are all connected and leaning towards the gospel. Think about that. That's a big deal. Here's, here's a couple of ways that I think about it, and it helps me. So you guys know what an echo is, right? Hello, 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 hello. Right, it's just, it's just kind of repeat of the same thing, but as you, it repeats, it gets more faint and more faint, right? Less distinct, less distinct, until it just kind of vanishes. So think of an echo in reverse. And what's happening here early on in the story of the Bible is, right, is the, the echo coming on. And we're getting these, these faint hints that God is gonna do something big. He's gonna send a rescue. And the further you go in your Old Testament, the more God reiterates that promise, the louder and the more clear it becomes until we get to the New Testament and the New Testament opens with this amazing announcement. What is it? He's here. He made it. Matter of fact, the first verse in your New Testament Matthew chapter one, verse one, is an announcement. Listen to it. The book, this is how the New Testament begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of whom? Abraham. It's here. What begins is a faint, off in the distance promise, a hint that God was going to rescue as you move through your Old Testament begins to take shape. And the rescue now becomes a rescuer. And the nation of Israel began to look, not just for God to rescue, but for him to send a Messiah. And then we get to the prophets, and they begin to describe this Messiah. He would be a humble, suffering servant, a descendant of David, and, and, and giving us all these descriptions of what to look for. And then the New Testament opens with this big announcement. Hey guys, he's here. The blessing for the nations, he's here the descendant of Abraham through whom the nations would be blessed, he's here and his name is Jesus. Through him, all the families on earth will be blessed, not just the Jews. So if we go back then to that moment in Genesis 15, this was our opening verse for this sermon series, that, that, that moment during the night where God invites Abraham to come outside and look up at the sky, Verses five and six, Genesis 15, God, he brought him, Abraham, outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. Now, I don't know that literally there was the exact number of stars in the sky as there will be those who are saved. But metaphorically and symbolically, what God was saying is, Abraham, look up you won't be able to count the number of people I'm gonna save. You won't be able to count the number of people I'm gonna call my people. And if you're here today and you're in Christ, there was a star in the sky representing you. Now I don't mean physically you have a star up there, that's yours. Maybe, who knows? 
But symbolically, as Abraham looked up, he's seeing something that represented you. Something bigger than him, bigger than his family. He was seeing the full promise of God that he would come and rescue the nations. So, how were the people before Jesus came saved? Did they need a savior? You better believe it. How were they saved? They believed the promises of God. Listen, I wanna, if you're taking notes, let's fill this in. When the people who lived before Jesus came to earth believed the promises of God, they were ultimately believing the gospel. Through their faith in God's promises, they received God's abundant grace and his free gift of righteousness. That's how Abraham gets in. That's how Moses gets in. That's how Noah gets in. There isn't another way into heaven. There isn't this alternative route for the super spiritual giants. There are no super spiritual giants. There's only Jesus. And he stands on the human timeline and in in his grace and his mercy, it pours out in two directions. He's not just absorbing the sins of those who were alive at that moment or even the sins of those who were to come. He was absorbing the wrath of the God for the sins of all mankind of all time. All of it poured out. Think about that. The wrath that God had stored up for Abraham and his disobedience and his lying and all the, all the things that he did. The wrath that God had stored up for King David and his adultery and his murders in that dark moment, like God pours it out on Jesus. So God can with patience look at David. You see that? People of the Old Testament, through their faith in God's promises, received an abundance of God's, abundance of God's grace and the free gift of his righteousness. Now, we're gonna go back to Galatians 3, um, verse, starting in verse 23, and we're gonna talk about us, okay? Starting in verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I wanna stop right there. Now, what's being talked about here has a, has a lot of implications, okay? Before Christ came, those who lived before Christ had this heavy weight, this heavy burden, this heavy sense of the law. But in a real practical sense, this applies to every person in the room. Before Christ came to you, you were shackled by that same burden whether you even knew it or not. Like some of you are there right now and you're shackled to the burden of the law. So when you think about eternity, when you think about hope beyond this life, when you think about freedom from guilt, like there's a sense of hopelessness that sinks in. And if you think about what you've done in this life long enough, there's gonna be this wave of shame and guilt that's gonna wash over you. And the harder you try not to sin, the more you're gonna realize you can't not sin. And that's being described to you as being like handcuffed or being held captive before Christ. 
But when we hear the gospel and believe it, when we trust in Christ, those shackles are undone. And you are set free from shame and from guilt and hopelessness. And so I want you to think about your own journey right now. Verse 27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I, I, don't, I don't care how religious you are. I really don't. Uh, your church attendance, it doesn't impress God. It doesn't impress us. How much money you give. I don't know who gives what here at our church. One, I just don't want to get involved in that part of it. But two, it doesn't matter. The question I have for you is have you put on Christ? That's what matters here. Have you put on Christ? Because for as many who have put on Christ are the sons of God. Verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Listen, without faith, we are held captive to the law and we stand condemned and guilty awaiting our death sentence. Now, one of the reasons why I think that Paul is just really so intense about this idea of legalism is because it leads to death. So here's, if you look at church history, you're gonna see these cycles that repeat themselves. You're gonna see these big movements of God that over time become routine. A sense of complacency will set in. Then what used to be supernatural and big becomes routine and routine gives way to ritual, which gives way to legalism and legalism leads to death every time, okay? But then you'll see an awakening, a revival, a stirring and God will awaken his church and call them to repentance. And that's I think what Paul's doing here in this letter. Wake up church, quit being fools. You've been bewitched, wake up. Shed those shackles of legalism. Return to the gospel that you first believed. Now the reason the church works in those cycles is because the people who are the church work in those cycles. And I don't know, you know where you are necessarily in your relationship with God today, okay? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna issue a warning, okay? When God speaks to us and he stirs in us and he convicts us and we quit responding, okay, that's the beginning of complacency. Complacency will lead into routine and ritualism, which will lead into legalism, which will lead into death. Okay, so this is a warning. To hear from God and to be convicted by God and not respond is actually unbelief. I want you to hear me on that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things yet unseen. That conviction compels us. We are not saved by works, but saving faith compels us into good works, compels us into obedience. Abraham's life is a perfect example of that. He was saved by believing God's promises. He was justified. He was given the free gift of righteousness. And yet a few paragraphs later, he's lying to save his own skin. Okay, so he, 
He's not operating, he's not continuing to, to receive God's favor by being perfectly moral, but what does he do? He keeps, he keeps on the journey. He continues to walk in faith. He continues to walk in obedience. So listen, to hear from God and to not respond, don't fool yourself, that's unbelief. When we talk about hearing and believing the gospel, we're talking about a faith that compels us to action to pursue. It is true, through faith, if you're taking notes, we are adopted into God's family and sons and daughters, and we become God's people, heirs according to the promise, and that's a big deal. I'll leave you with just one little thing. If you're a parent here um, and you've got a mini-me, I don't know if you have any of those mini-me's, but I'm starting to see um, some mini-me in my boys. And I'm starting to see where, for better or for worse, they see a lot of the world the way I see the world and they interact with the world in a lot of ways the way I um, interact with the world. And there's something, I think, intrinsically valuable about that. And I think it has to do with our image bearing. I think what I'm seeing in my sons is that, right, they can't escape the influence of dad. They can't escape the image of dad in the way they see the world and the way they interact with the world. And listen, I think this is how I would com- compare your relationship to God as a Christ follower. Listen, you're not just a compliant person in his kingdom, you are a son and a daughter. And, you, and when you walk out obedience as a Christian, when you walk in good works as a Christian, all you're doing is trying to be like dad. It doesn't make you his son or daughter. You're doing it because you already are. You with me? And that's the difference between living and walking by faith versus living according to the law. Because the law says you wanna be one of God's people, you wanna be one of his children, then you need to obey. And if you'll get in line, maybe God will call you his daughter. That's not the gospel. The gospel says you hear about what Jesus has done for you. You believe it. You trust in it. God adopts you into his family. And from there is God's son and daughter. What? You begin to try to look like dad. Be like dad. See the world like dad. Love people like dad. So I'll leave you with a couple of questions to think about as we wrap up here. How about your own relationship with God? Do you base your relationship with God right now, do you base it more on your performance or his promises? Like right now, if I said, hey, are you and God good? What do you immediately think of? Do you immediately think about how good you've been? Or do you immediately think about how good he's been to you? It's a difference. I want you to think for a minute about your own faith and how your own faith connects you to Abraham, and I want you to think about what does it mean that I've been adopted into this family that's being talked about in Genesis 12? What does that mean to you? How has that impacted your life? As we wrap up today, I just wanna leave with this. If you're a believer here today and God is speaking to you, I'm gonna plead with you that you not ignore that. Do not drift into complacency because it leads to nowhere but death. I know that when we say yes to God, it requires a certain amount of vulnerability. It's risky. It's a risky thing to pack up your family and move. He calls us to do things that that don't necessarily seem right in our own eyes or make sense to us. But listen, it is a dangerous thing to hear from God and to walk away. That is unbelief. And if God's speaking to you today, I'm just gonna plead with you. I'm gonna pray that you will respond to whatever that is. 
And if you are here today and you've not taken that step of faith to trust in Christ and Christ alone, we just sing about, I'm gonna pray you would do that today. There's nothing else that you need to know. You don't have to go to a class or get your life in order. You don't need to go home and fix anything. Right now, where you are seated in your own heart, believe and trust the gospel. Jesus died in your place. He paid the penalty of your, your sins are paid for. And, and by trusting in that, God gives you a free gift of righteousness. It's yours. And you're adopted into his family. So if that's you, I'm gonna pray you would make that decision today before you walk out of this place. We're gonna pray together. Our worship team is coming up. Our prayer partners will be at the front and the back if you want somebody to pray with. Let's respond to God now. Father, thank you for, God, your word that you have given us a book of truth. Um, You've given us this tangible thing that we can open up and read to learn about who you are and God, who we are and, and, and what you've done for us. And God, I believe that you speak through your Bible. So God, as you have spoken today, I pray you would give us the faith to respond. God, there's somebody here I know that is flirting with complacency or maybe even just all in complacent. They've heard from you and they've not responded and they've been ignoring. And and Father, I pray today you would stir an awakening in that person right now, God. God, I know there's somebody here today who's just not taking that first step of faith to trust in Christ and him alone. God, I pray you would give the faith that is needed, real faith to believe the gospel to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. So Father, what we're asking for for right now is beyond us, it's supernatural. God, we're asking for your spirit to move in this place, stir in our hearts. God, do a work that only you can do. In Christ's name we pray.